This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. What's up, everybody? Welcome in. Appreciate you joining us here on InsideCarolina.com's Coast to Coast podcast. Brought to you by Johnny T-Shirt. I'm Joey Powell. Thanks for joining us. Here we are, Selection Sunday edition of the Coast to Coast podcast. We're going to put a bow on the regular season for the Tar Heels, talk a little bit about what the tournament now looks like. We know where they're going to go. We know who they're going to play. With me, as always, Sean Moran, Sherell McMillan, and we'll be joined by Greg Barnes here shortly. Inside Carolina's lead beat writer is filing away his predictions and analysis for uh, the Tar Heels draw against Marquette. Sean, how you feeling, man? Feeling good. Favorite, favorite uh, week of the year right here. Yeah, this is a, uh, this is one of those, you know, the old Jim Rome bit about guys start feeling really sick Wednesday afternoon, about three or four o'clock. And all of a sudden Thursday rolls around. They just can't make it into work. Just don't feel really good. Feel like they're probably going to have to stay home. Sherelle, how you feeling, man? I'm good. Same, same as Sean. Uh, Thursday and Friday are my two favorite days of the year. Yeah, it's uh the remote gets a workout. All right, now that you can get games all online, you can watch them on multiple devices. Are you guys still at the place where you go multiple TV setup, or do you go iPad, uh, Mac, or laptop and, and phone plus TV? How, how do you how do you take in all of the the gamey goodness on Thursday, Shrill? I'm a traditionalist, so I just use the previous button on the remote. All right. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, see, see, now you've also got the last four button, right, where you can mm-hmm. kind of hit that hit that mm-hmm. last four and kind of surf through them. Uh, because, you know, there's nothing like watching basketball on true TV, right? Where else can you see San Diego State against Monmouth and then cut right back into previews for Lizard Lick Towing? I mean, that's that's programming if I've ever seen it, right? It's March. That's what it's March. Absolutely. It's the madness. Sean, how are you? How are you going to watch the games, dude? Are you are you a traditionalist like Rel or are you, get, are you the guy that just wants all the screens? Uh, I want all the screens. I mean, my tradition was Vegas for 12 years in a row, which uh, came sure. to an end came to an end last year, uh, but that was putting all my TVs in the, in the driveway and just having them, them all, all going. I mean, you could just run a, you know, you could just run a book out of your garage and throw all the TVs up in there and just kind of you know, make your way that way. I don't think the, I don't think the secretary of state of the state of California would like that, but Hey, you do what you got to do, man. <laughs> all right, boys. Um, well, North Carolina finished their regular season and conference play. Uh, in the tournament in Brooklyn, they bowed out on Thursday evening to no Friday evening. I'm sorry to a Virginia Tech squad that, as a seven seed, went on and won the tournament title. Go Hokies! That was really uh, it's really refreshing to see. I mean, that's a team that that almost lost, had to have a buzzer beater to beat Clemson on Tuesday night. I think it was uh, Tuesday or Wednesday, and then played you know played North Carolina and and beat North Carolina pretty handily. Uh, Tar Heels did not look good, and then they they ended up winning the title on Saturday. So uh, good for Virginia Tech. It's it's really cool to see a team string four wins together. But now, as we look at this North Carolina season, guys, they finished twenty four and nine. Uh, they won twelve of their last fifteen. Right? Uh, we've said it before, but a month ago on February the sixteenth or whatever it was, this team lost to Pittsburgh, and it was unsure if they would even get into the tournament. Now they're sitting here looking at uh, at being an eight seed. Where did you think in November that this team would land as far as tournament seeding goes, Sean? Uh, I mean, pre preseason probably had you know was hoping for a little bit higher, uh, but as we got into November, especially after the Tennessee game, uh, was really wondering if they were going to make the tournament, um, and if so, you know, it'd probably be in the the eight to ten range. Uh, when they lost to Kentucky, you know, some similar thing, you know, maybe 10, 10 or 11 seed. And then obviously we, you know, we went all through the ACC season 
Uh, and, you know, we, we got to see the team improve. And I think definitely for the most part, start playing better. Um, and I, I think over the last you know month or so, you know, an eight, eight, nine seed was kind of where we, where we had thought, obviously if they had maybe made it to the championship game or one could have seen a seven, but I think we're kind of where they expected. Part of it is exciting because I think they have improved. Uh, but then you look at last year and you're like, well, they're in the almost same exact spot as, as last year. So uh, obviously it depends how you look at it, but, um, you know, excited that they're playing and, and hopefully can, you know, <laughs> pull a Virginia Tech and, and lock in and, and get ready for this this week. Darrell, same question to you. I want to kind of put a little spin on it, though. Did you expect this team to be seated around eight or nine at the beginning of the year? Because you've been the guy that's been really, really bullish on the talent level of this team. Uh, you know, November, when, whenever, I don't know, when was Midnight Madness? <laughs> September the 4th? I, whenever that was, how did you feel like this team would end up falling when the seating came out on Selection Sunday? I, I thought it'd be a little bit higher um, based upon the roster and, and what we knew was coming back and some of the improvement that we expected from the, you know, the player, the returning players. And then also the additions and hasn't quite gone that way, but they're, I don't think they're far off from really where a lot of us thought they would be at the beginning of the season, you know, a, a win here, um, at, say Pittsburgh and maybe a tough road game, like Notre Dame, you pull those two out. Then I think you're looking at a, a six, you know, a seven, six, somewhere around there, which is kind of where my expectation level was at the beginning of the season. So they're close, but then you, you kind of contrast that to your point with where they were a month ago. Mm-hmm. And I think an eight seed is like kind of a miracle, honestly, because um, it looked very, very dicey. Uh, weren't sure if they were going to be able to get some of these clutch wins. Um, you know, they've won, they won their last five ACC road games. Um, that held a ton. Uh, so they've, they've come a long way. And I think an eight seed is probably about right. You, you wonder, though, if they would have beaten Virginia Tech, if they could have moved up a line to seven and avoided a few things. But all things considered, uh, where they were a month ago, I think they have to be pleased with an eight seed. Yeah, and and since we're as we're recording this, it's just come out that the uh, the UNC women's team will actually be a five seed in the Greensboro Regional. They will have their uh, first round game on Saturday against Stone Cold Stephen F. Austin. Uh, so we definitely want to wish them luck as they get off to uh, the women's tournament. Um, back to the men, Sherelle. I, I think you and Sean are both spot on. You know, this team, they are who they were. I made the tweet uh, during the selection show that if if Carolina fans are mad or like complaining about an eight, nine seed again, I would just press pause and say, go back a month. You didn't know this team was going to get in. I've had the bracket matrix site up and I know Greg Barnes is a real big fan of that site. I've had that up on my phone in a window open for like three or four weeks. And I can remember the first day I looked at it, you know, UNC was, was not even in the field for a majority of the brackets. Um, they were a 12 in some, and I think the highest was maybe a 10. So to see them moving on up and then kind of get where they are, to your point, Sherelle, I love pointing out that Notre Dame and Pitt win, right? Two of those, and then all of a sudden you are probably looking at, at closer to a seven or a six. But, you know, you got to beat who's in front of you. And that's not going to change moving on into to Dallas-Fort Worth this coming weekend. Um, guys, who do you think has made the, the biggest improvement to the team over the course of the year? I don't want to say who has, you know, who has totally changed their game or who has improved XYZ skill. But who do you think has made the biggest improvement for the team to make this jump uh, to go from, like I said, a month ago when they were outside looking in to now they're, you know, they're firmly in as, as an eight and, and looking to play on Thursday? Uh, Cheryl, I'll come to you first. Yeah, I probably had to go. Um, it's close, <laughs> but I, I, I'll probably go with Brady Manick uh, mm-hmm. just because of his unselfishness. And as we talked about before, I think that kind of stuff permeates throughout the roster. When you have someone with his pedigree who's played, uh, you know, in the NBA tournament, who's had big time games his entire career. Uh, when you see someone like that being a willing passer, I think about the pass he had. I can't remember what game it was, but there was a pass where he could have easily laid it up. But he dropped it off to board, just got everybody going. It's, it's that kind of stuff. The way he moves without the ball, the way he cuts. He, he's very much a Carolina player, even though he's only been there for a year. And uh, I think, you know, his improvement his insertion into the starting lineup, him playing 35, 36, 37 minutes, and him hitting threes from everywhere uh, has opened everything up offensively for UNC more than it was earlier in the season. And he's definitely just gotten more comfortable, I think, with the more minutes he's gotten. So I, I, would, I would roll with him more than likely. 
Yeah, the Tar Heels need to look at the NCAA and see if they can petition for a because we like him sixth year or something. Yeah, I don't know. Sue, I, sue somebody, get some lawyers <laughs> in the case, do whatever you need to do. It's funny, you know, and I know you'll appreciate this as a, a lifelong UNC fan, but Brady Manick reminds me of one of those guys that would have been a perfect asset to a Dean Smith team because he's he, he's not flashy, but he fits into this roster so well. And you can't imagine him being removed from this roster, right? It just it's it seems like Dean Smith era teams had a lot of those guys too that were just you know, fit into the hole really well, even though they weren't like this high flying or, or, you know, premier player, Sean, who would you like to say is, is probably the, the key player whose improvement has meant the most to this team? I was, I was leaning Brady, but since uh, Shrill got him first, I'm going to go with uh, RJ Davis. And mm-hmm. I think, I mean, you know, you can look at it in two, two different lenses, uh, you know, for RJ, uh, you can go to the, you know, the Duke game for, for how well he played, but uh, you know, he increased from, from last year to this year, ACC shooting, you know, 29% to 41% while doubling his attempts. Uh, he struggled finishing at the rim last year and now he's over, you know, 50% inside the arc uh, as well as being a lot more efficient and, and for the most part running the team. Well, now we saw what happens when, when he's off, he was one of 10 from three in New York. Um, and if, if that happens, uh, you know, this coming week against Marquette and or Baylor, it, it, you know, this will be the last time we're talking about UNC this season. So he, he's definitely improved significantly, kind of made that freshman to sophomore year jump, but, um, you know, still has some games where he's, you know, he's not, not firing on, on all cylinders. So it'll be important to have, you know, really him and Caleb uh, step their games up coming up. I do think the team has improved uh, largely as he and as he has come along as the primary ball handler. Uh, I think things have become a little more fluid uh, when he's he's primarily the one on the ball. Uh, I I will say you know these last two games of the ACC tournament, uh, the starting backcourt Caleb Love and R.J. Davis for the Tar Heels were 11 of 50 from the floor, and that absolutely can't happen. To your point, Sean, if if we're talking about R.J. that way, then. Um, the Tar Heels are probably going to have an early exit. Uh, I, I'm just the host here, but also want to mention Leaky Black's uh, improvement. Um, I, I don't, you know, again, statistically there hasn't been a huge jump, but if you look at just kind of the liability that he was for this team on offense and even his his off-the-ball defense at points in January, he, he just, I don't know if he was gripping or overthinking, but the way he now seems to fit with this team on both ends of the floor and has become a very reliable defender. I think speaks a lot towards this team's late season success. And uh, we'll talk about Marquette here in a second, but I think he's going to have to, he's going to have to step up pretty big uh, against uh, a guy like Justin Lewis, who I'm assuming that's who he'll match up with. And we'll talk about that in a second. Um, guys, is there, is there a type of team you did not want this Tar Heel team to face uh, in the NCAAs in the first round? I think there's, there's certain Achilles heels that every squad has. Uh, Sean, what, what, what do you feel like is this team's, Oh crap! When they look across and see them, you know, see a, a certain type uh, across the court against them. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, in looking at the bracket, there, you know, regarding the eight, nine, seven, ten line, there weren't too many teams I was I was that concerned with. But I think the, you know, in terms of who you don't want to match up, it's basically a, a Wisconsin type team that's going to slow the game down. They're going to be, I mean, also Virginia Tech. This is what we saw on on Friday night. They're going to slow it down. They're going to be physical, very smart, a lot of off the ball movement. And, you know, they're going to, you know, kind of pick you apart. And I think that's, you know, when we did this podcast last year, I almost, uh, UNC would have got smashed by Baylor last year, but I almost would have preferred that game than the Wisconsin game last year, just because it would have been up and down uh, a little more loose. Um, But, you know, you know, look, if, if they can beat Marquette, you know, I, I don't think we're going to be complaining about, you know, the style of play is going to be up and down. So it, it was really that slower paced, physical, uh, just really smart type of team that I did not want to see UNC matched up with early on. Sheryl, what about you? Yeah, I was thinking physical. Uh, two teams from Texas come to mind, Houston and Texas Tech, mm. who play that kind of smothering defense, especially um, uh, their, their guards are really good at limiting penetration. 
And, you know, we've seen that when guards at times, not all the time, when guards really get into uh, R.J. Davis and Caleb Love, it, it's a little more difficult for them to turn the corner. And that really hurts North Carolina's offense overall because um, they're, they're taking they have to take some difficult shots. And then it feels like once they start taking difficult shots and not making them, it, it can spiral. So those type teams, um, I guess not not dissimilar from what Sean said, teams who like to grind, who slow tempo. Um, who aren't afraid to use all five of their fouls throughout the game, uh, each player. That's the kind of team that I think North Carolina would have had trouble with. But to Sean's point, Marquette um, doesn't seem or doesn't appear to be that kind of team. I can't say that I'm a Marquette expert or that I watched them a ton, but just looking at their their numbers, that's not them. Yeah, sitting here, uh, you know, Marquette is a is 26th in adjusted tempo, and I know Sean, you love stats like that. Uh, the Tar Heels are. Um, Tar Heels, I think, are somewhere in the late late 30s, upper 40s. Um, I'm sorry, the 32nd. Uh, Sean, how do you feel like a, a tempo team uh, will will cater towards this North Carolina roster, uh, especially in the first round? Uh, I mean, I love it. The, the only concern is, uh, you know, from a depth perspective, um, Marquette's going to play 9, 10, 10 guys. UNC, uh, you know, they, they played a few more uh, during the, the tournament, but – I could see them easily quickly going back to the, you know, the starters and maybe one guy off the bench, um, which, you know, I think should be fine for that game. But, you know, if we were to go to two games, I could see that being a, being a factor, but I'd much rather be up and down. You're going to get some easy, easy baskets uh, and you're going to have the ability to, to attack and, and hopefully get, get open shots a little bit more. Well, while you were giving that phenomenal answer, Sean, uh, we were joined by Greg Barnes. If this was the Inside Carolina Live radio show, I'd have a really strong uh, Snoop Dogg, Dr. Dre, G-Thing drop here for you. But uh, since this is not radio and I do not have such an awesome soundboard, I'll just welcome in Greg Barnes. Greg, welcome back from Brooklyn. Uh, We just started talking about the Tar Heels playing against Marquette in the first round in Fort Worth. What can you tell us about the Marquette Golden Eagles coached by Shaka Smart from the Big East? Well, I think that the main thing is with a, uh, a new coach in tow, which Carolina is familiar with that, um, it took Marquette a little bit of time to kind of find their rhythm. And if you look at what they've done uh, in conference play in, in the Big East, they've, they've been really good. Uh, they, they lead the league in effective field goal percentage at 54%. Uh, they're, top, they're second in the league in three-point field goal percentage at 37 uh, they lead the, the league in defensive three-point field goal percentage, 31.1. Uh, and then they, they also have done a really good job of, of forcing uh, turnovers by way of steals, that they lead the league there, uh, converting steals at you know, 12% of the possessions of their opponents. So uh, as the season has gone along, their stats have gotten better. And I think a lot of that is because you know, when you got a young guy like Justin Lewis, um, was a little tentative early in the year. But if, if you happen to watch some of his, his later games, uh, he's looked really good and has really kind of come into his own. And so I think Shock has done a good job with this team. Uh, it's not an elite team by any stretch. They're not a very good rebounding team, but they play hard, and, and they're, they're good on both ends of the court. And um, I, I saw the, the stat that CBS threw up earlier. I think historically the 8-9 game since the uh, the, the tournament, expanded of 64 teams back in 1985 like the eight seed has won 50.7 percent of these <laughs> matchups so th- this is going to be a, a toss-up i think there's some things that work in north carolina's favor and then there are going to be some things that are going to be a challenge but that's what you expect in, in this type of matchup well we appreciate you joining us and it's um it does sound like you know this marquette team they've had their highs and lows just running down looking at their schedule uh, 19 and 12 coming in um, I think they were the, like the 38 seed, maybe, uh, overall. They, they beat Villanova twice, who, you know, we've all seen Villanova's strong team this year. Uh, I think they just won the, the Big East tourney. Um, they did lose to DePaul and lost to Creighton three times, which I still get a little bit of a twitch when I talk about Creighton. But uh, they also beat Illinois, but I'm going to kind of throw that, throw that out. At, they beat Illinois without Kofi Coburn. So that's a little different. But Justin Lewis is a guy that you mentioned, Greg Barnes, uh, coming in averaging 17 and seven. Sherelle, is that the guy that, that Leaky Black's going to be assigned to? That is a great question. We thought that we knew who uh, 
was going to be assigned to Paulo Bancaro in that first game, and it came out it wasn't that person. So I think Hubert Davis might have a, a, a trick or two up his sleeve. Um, but, you know, Leakey can, you know, really guard one through four pretty much in college basketball. So um, I think he will be used as needed. Maybe he starts on Lewis, and if someone gets hot or someone uh, gets going, then he'll switch on to him and they'll figure things out. But I think this team, uh, in my opinion, has been much better uh, defensively, you know, maybe Friday notwithstanding at certain times. Um, especially when it comes to more athletic players and some of the matchups uh, that have been difficult for them, they haven't let it get out of control. They've kind of managed it. So maybe that's something that can happen with Lewis and a couple other players for Marquette. Sean, have you had a chance to see Marquette play this year? Um, I have, you know, not a, not watching all, all their games, but, but definitely caught, caught a few. I mean, I didn't think they were going to be a tournament team starting the year, just given who they lost and the, the coaching change. Um, you know, I think, you know, a few things, it, it'll be interesting. I think for sure Leakey will, will start on, on Lewis. And from a matchup perspective, you know, from a, a four, you know, the first thing you look at is the four, how, how's that going to be? And I think for the most part, we should be fine with, with Manic guarding another stretch four. Um, they have a great shot blocker down low, but he's, he's raw. Um, and I know that's how Creighton, you know, Creighton kind of had their way down low at times. So I think that'll be interesting. And, you know, one guy off the bench, Greg Elliott, super long wing. Uh, if UNC fans remember, he had one of his better games last year uh, in the Dean Dome with 15 points. So he's coming off the bench. They've got a freshman shooter. And then their point guard is interesting. Um, 6'3", lefty, uh, rookie of the year from the A-10 last year. Hasn't been the most efficient, but it has been a great, great passer. And if, if UNC can, you know, sure he's going to get, get some, get some passes, but they can keep him from hitting from the outside or somebody getting hot outside of Morcel. I think that will go, go a long way because this team does love to, to shoot the three and they can't hit it. Greg, any other um, kind of overall things that jump out at you watching this Marquette team? I think North Carolina fans and inside Carolina subscribers are probably going to be a little shell shocked to, to project into you know the the Saturday game, knowing what happened last year against Wisconsin, uh, another team from Wisconsin, um, you know eight nine game. What should what should Tar Heel fans be expecting from style of play? And Sean was kind of leading into it there. Just your overall synopsis of, of what to expect out of Shaka Smart squad. I, you know, are they a great rebounding team? Do they uh, do they they shoot really well? Tell us what what their their calling card is. Well, well let me start with this. Um, the more I look at what happened to Oklahoma last year, uh, the more impressed I am that, that Porter Moser is 18 and 15 and, and uh, was able to beat Baylor last week because Kirk Queth, who is the, uh, a center that's coming off the bench a lot for Marquette, he played for Oklahoma last year. So you got Brady Manick, you got Queth, who's the center, you got Alondis Williams, and yet Oklahoma here is, is 18 and five and, uh, had, had a pretty good year. So that's, that's uh, silly to me, but it, Marquette is, is because they're not very big. And that's one of the things that I think is interesting. Um, when we start talking about who guards Lewis, he's, he's a good player. He's not a great athlete. Mm. Um, so I really think when you, when you look at what Marquette does, uh, I mean, they'll play him at the five some, I don't know that you necessarily need to put Leaky on him. I mean, if you want to mix it up, son, you, you can. Um, but they're, they're just small, and it really shows up in the rebounding totals. Uh, I mean, if you look at, at Ken Palm, I mean, they're 330th nationally in offensive rebounding, Ooh. and then they're 306th in defensive rebounding. So I know Armando Baycott's a, a couple shy of Bryce Johnson's single-season record. Well, I think you can go ahead and write that one in the books because he should have a field day on the glass. Um, but you know, Marquette's they're they're a balanced team. And I think one thing to kind of to watch out look, look out for is something that Hubert has talked about uh, at various times this year is how the the other team has, has been more physical and his team hasn't adapted well. We heard that you know after the Virginia Tech game mm -hmm. on, on Friday night. Shaka Smart, his teams play physical, um, dating back to Texas, dating back to VCU. Uh, they're, they're very aggressive defensively. And when you see an opponent um, trying to initiate contact and willing to initiate contact, if you're not ready for that, that can kind of get in your head. 
Um, and Carolina has struggled with that at times that they don't, they don't necessarily seek out contact. Uh, and that can be, that can be a little bit of a, a mental game. So Carolina can't be looking for fouls. You have to understand that uh, you don't determine what the refs are going to call. You have to play to that line and figure out how physical you have to be without trying to get help. And so I think that's a key part of this game. We can talk about the stats and all that, um, but because Carolina has a size advantage, I think that's how Marquette tries to make up for that. So they try to be really physical with, with Baycott and uh, Caleb Love and, and R.J. Davis because they haven't fared well against that approach uh, consistently. You know, some games they've been fine, other games they have not been. Uh, and so that's, that's one thing in particular I think North Carolina is going to have to watch out for and be prepared for but they should have a lot of success in the glass. Well, I would expect the managers for UNC this week to have those giant foam pads out and just be knocking the bejesus out of UNC's players to get them used to it. Sherelle, you got some stats for us. I tried to give you some time to get caught up over there. <laughs> I'm good. Uh, so Greg was talking about the rebounding stuff. So I, I, I couldn't find the exact number, but just keep in mind, I think the UNC record for rebounds in a tournament game, Tyler Zeller owns. I think that record is 22. So that's something to maybe watch for and, it looks like we just found out that the game will start at 4.30 p.m. on Thursday. Uh, I Gross. guess we can confirm that in a second. Um, so there's that. And then the other thing, uh, you know, Marquette has struggled recently. You know, they, they have four wins since February 1st. Um, so I think they're four and six in their last 10 games. And a lot of times teams who have struggled, at least anecdotally, it seems like teams who have struggled to end the regular season, for whatever reason, kind of resurrect themselves when the tournament comes and i'm curious to see if you know uh, marquette changes anything they've had a, a good amount of time off before the game tips on thursday so i'm curious to see what what shaka smart comes up with and then the other thing was unc this season when they've had four or more days of rest is seven and zero. and also um you know if they were to win because so they will have there'll be six days of rest that'll have from friday to thursday and then if they were to beat marquette um I think that's where the um, issue as far as stamina and stuff will, will come in because this season they're three and two when they play within kind of 48 hours. Um, there was the Tennessee Purdue game. Then they had a couple Saturday Monday games and they've won their last three um, Saturday Monday games, but then they lost on Friday after playing on Thursday. So um, they usually do good when they have a good amount of rest. Uh, it seems like they come out prepared, ready to go, but it's usually that next game the 48-hour game that uh, is an issue. So just something to keep in the back of your mind. Sherelle, you mentioned um, you mentioned uh, their record in their last uh, their last 10 games uh, coming into this, you know, coming into the tournament. Do you know what uh, Wisconsin's record was last year going into the NCAA tournament? Don't say four and six. Four and in six. Last, uh, okay, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there you go. So, um, yeah, I just I deliberately want to give our listeners heartburn by, by throwing that out there, but I appreciate you digging deep for that stat. All right, guys, um, I'm going to throw this question out to everybody. And I hopefully uh, if you if you want to repeat somebody else's answer, feel free. Just give me a different reason for listening sake. Who is the UNC player that has to be the X factor for the Tar Heels to get a win on Thursday, which sounds like it's going to be 430. We will wait to confirm that. Um, but I, I don't think Sherelle would lie to us. Greg's nodding his head. Is that confirmed now? It's confirmed. All right. So 430 on Thursday in Fort Worth uh, against the Marquette Golden Eagles. Sean, who's the X factor that has that has to play well for the Tar Heels to get a win? Um, <laughs> I mean, every, everybody everybody has to play well. Um, I'm gonna, but I'm gonna go with with uh, Lee Black. Um, you talked about him, Joey, in terms of improvement. Um, you know, if if Shock is watching the Virginia Tech tape, I mean, I think they showed the blueprint on how to try to to defend and and beat Carolina, and they were really physical. They, they tried to wall off the paint and they basically did it by taking, you know, the guy who was guarding either, either leaky or puff. And they put him as a safety in the middle, uh, or they had him coming down to uh, double team Armando. And then they, they're able to recover uh, to the shooters. You can, you can think of those two threes that leaky missed in the first half, both good looks. I, th I thought the first one was going to go down, mm -hmm. but they were basically saying, Hey, if we're going to give something up, this is going to be it. Leaky made them pay uh, at the Dean Dome the first time. But, you know, if, if Marquette's doing the same thing, going to need him to, to step up because Virginia Tech, Virginia Tech made life very tough for everybody else with the double teaming 
on Armando. And at the same time for Puff Johnson to come in, you know, he's going to have to, that fifth option on offense is going to have to have to show something so that it can take the pressure off of everybody else. Greg, same question. I like, I like where Sean went kind of saying whoever the fifth option is has to do something. Uh, what about you? I think it's got to be Caleb Love um, just in terms of he has not played, he has not shot the ball well away from home. Uh, in his last 16 games, well, in North Carolina, 16 games away from the Smith Center this year, shooting uh, 32.2%. In his last five games overall, he's shooting 24.7 from the floor, 26.2 from the three-point line. So not only has he struggled away from the Smith Center this year, he struggled over his last five games. Uh, and Carolina is not going to win any games in this tournament unless Caleb plays well. He doesn't have to play great. He can be a volume scorer, which is what he is. Uh, but he, he can't go three for 17. That's not going to get it done. And so I think he's got to play – uh, better than he has been, and he's got to be solid. And that that extends to you know taking care of the ball, doing a good job with assists. We know that it's thirteen and zero. I think Carolina is when he has five or more assists. Yep. Um, all those things kind of work together. When he's hitting shots, it it filters throughout his entire game, and he plays better. Uh, but when he's struggling to score, he kind of gets into a mindset where he forces things, uh, and I, that can't happen for Carolina to have any kind of success. I want to kind of stay here for a second. Hang on, Sherelle. I'm going to ask you the same thing. But, Greg, I want to ask you here, if Caleb goes three for 17, the Tar Heels can't win. What if he goes three for 10, right? Because I look at that as like seven less turn or seven less empty possessions. Um, do you feel like that's a little better, even if he's not getting the volume of shots up? Do you feel like that's a better line for him? Yeah, potentially. And he does a good job. Part of it, too, is if he's three, three of 10, but he's going to the line for, for 10 free throws, mm -hmm. he'll take that because he's a great free throw shooter. Uh, but he just kind of gets into a mindset where if things aren't going right, he kind of forces some shots, takes some bad shots. Mm -hmm. uh, it's almost like he's trying to draw fouls without actually seeking contact. I mean, the play <laughs> at the end of the first half the other night. Yeah. Uh, he didn't he get was, touched, he, I don't think. I mean, he may have got touched a little bit, but he was, he was looking for the foul. Instead of worrying about scoring, he was trying to get the foul. Uh, and you can't do that. And uh, I, I just think when he's not taking as many shots and he's, he's trying to facilitate more, is when this team really thrives. Um, it's fine to hand him the ball in clutch, clutch time when you need him to make buckets because we know he can do that. He, he's excellent at that. But for whatever reason, when the game's not as stressful and there's not as much tension is when he kind of gets a little bit aloof, and that's not good for Carolina. Nice use of the word aloof, by the way. Uh, Sherelle, who, who are you going to say? Yeah, I have to go with Caleb, too. I, that's That's been the conversation the entire season is that uh, anyone you asked uh, in September, October, November, it was what, how far can North Carolina go? And the answer was as far as Caleb Love can take them. And uh, that's changed a little bit. It's, it's more like um, they can go far as long as Caleb Love is playing well, because Armando Baycott is kind of carrying them uh, alongside Manic and, and the rest of the starters. But I have to go with him. And it's interesting because his shooting numbers are down, but his overall, I guess, point guard play or feel to me is better. Like you just look at his stats from the last five games or mm -hmm. look at the last four. I'm, I'm being selective to make a point, but in the last four games, three assists, no turnovers, five assists, one turnover, five assists, one turnover, one turnover, four assists, no turnovers. So he's playing a good floor game. His shot just isn't falling. So yeah. the hope is that with, you know, a little more concerted effort um, to continue to get his teammates involved, continue to drive and dish, that will open things up for him. So he's not taking as many difficult shots. That's the issue with him is that some of the shots he takes and hits and misses are just so hard. They're, they're step back threes from 23 feet yeah. over a six, five defender. And he manages to make them, but just imagine, you know, if teams had to play off him because they knew that he was going to get into the lane and, and pass, like he's been doing some, you know, that makes it a 19 foot jump shot or a 20 foot jump shot. And it doesn't have to be a step back with, you know, cause the guy maybe is a couple of extra feet away because he's sacking off because they know he's going to drive. So I just think for him discerning when to shoot and when to drive, he's gotten a lot better at it. Um, and if he can harness that and, and do it a little bit better, um, I think North Carolina, you know, can, can make some noise in the tournament. Well, and this is where I'm going to be a good host and prop you and Greg up here. When you're both talking about, as Greg mentioned, Caleb being such a good free throw shooter, your example there of getting a 19-footer instead, a 19-footer is a lot more likely to draw a slap on the elbow than a 23-footer is when you're stepping back away from, from your defender. 
right? Um, I, I think you guys are both really onto something there. All right. Is there anything else you guys want to talk about about this 8-9 matchup? I am reticent to mention what happens if the Tar Heels win because we saw what happened last year. But for the sake of this show, uh, and since there won't be another one in case they do advance, uh, Sean, give me, a, give me a reason the Tar Heels uh, can and cannot beat Baylor. And I'm going to get all three of you with the same question. Uh, cannot beat Baylor because their, their legs will be tired from, from a game against Marquette and they'll have trouble uh, matching up offensively, uh, especially at, at kind of the four, four spot. Um, in terms of why they can beat Baylor, um, I mean, they got lucky with the one seed that they were slotted with. You know, I'd also rather be playing Baylor than Kentucky in the second round. Um, you know, I think LJ Cryer, you know, he's been injured for February. That's a big a big loss. They're not very deep. Um, great defensive team, but I think they like, they'll like to, you know, the tempo will be, will be up there. Um, and, and I think UNC could, you know, could definitely play with them. Um, it just, it would just come down to can can they hit shots? I don't think Baylor's going to go three for 20 or whatever they did against Oklahoma uh, again, but I do think that UNC could match up with this team. And once again, this is a team won the championship. They lost a lot of pieces, came together pretty well, but they're still, uh, you know, inexperienced in some, some key positions. Um, so, you know, I, I do like the matchup if they can, if they can get there, but my concern, you know, maybe it's like, uh, I think it was 2013, you know, the eight, nine UNC, uh, takes care of Villanova, gives Kansas a game for a half. And then, you know, it's, it's, it's a blowout the second half, but we'll see. And, and I think it could go either way if, if they can get there. All right, Greg, I'm going to modify this question a little bit. Um, tell me why North Carolina has no chance against this Baylor team. Oh, gracious. That, that is a, a tough one. Um, you know, I think Baylor, Sean did a lot of good points there. I think Baylor is, is a team that's just very well balanced. Uh, they're very good on both sides of the ball. And I think if, when you start talking about some of the injuries that they've had, um, that benefits North Carolina. Um, but, but I think they, they're very good offensively. And whether you know, some of the freshmen, Kendall Brown's been very good. Uh, Flagler's been good uh, at, at the guard position. I think it's just a challenge, one through five, to be able to match up. Um, and the fact that they're, they're able to go deep, even though they've had some of those injuries, is a problem. Um, but with, with the length and athleticism that, that Scott Drew likes to play with, we've seen that pose problems for North Carolina. Um, and I think that could be an issue for the guards. Um, and if North Carolina you know, is unable to, to have good guard play, uh, which has been a problem because Baylor forces turnovers about one out of every four possessions, uh, it could end up being a, a long day for Carolina. Cheryl, tell me a reason the North Carolina can shock the world and beat Baylor if they advance that far to, to get Baylor in the second round. Uh, Armando Baycott. Uh, I think it's another situation where the other team has – one viable option to defend Baycott. And if that viable option gets in foul trouble, there's really nothing they can do. Uh, so that's the situation where, you know, if you're North Carolina, you go in, you try to get Thamba in, in foul trouble immediately, and then uh, you pound the ball into Baycott. I th actually think this is a game North Carolina would hope to slow down. Um, I think this is a game where North Carolina would be very intentional in their half-court sets. Um, I think they would, uh, you know, like I said, pound the ball to Baycott, run lots of pick and roll, um, and then hope Brady Manick hits a two or three, uh, or hits a three or two, hope that Caleb Love is on, and then just kind of go for there. Uh, I, I think that's the key. Um, because honestly, this season, I think North Carolina's half-court offense has been pretty solid, uh, which is a change from what we're used to uh, uh, the last few years, where a lot of it was, you know, trying to get stuff um, in the up-tempo up game. So that, that's kind of where I'm at, is that if Armando Baycott has a, a great game, if he can get – uh, Thamba in foul trouble. It's in this theoretical situation if they were able to beat Marquette. <laughs> I feel like it's jinxy just even talking. Oh about yeah, that's it. I if, wanted if to that get that happen. Yeah, that that's I think that's that's why they would win is Armando Bacot. Yeah, I want to make sure I get that caveat out into the world because the basketball guys do not light expectations. See also what I said about UNC hosting Pitt back in the Smith Center earlier this year. Um, <laughs> something the basketball guys do like is Johnny T-shirt. They love Johnny T-Shirt. They love the gear that Johnny T-Shirt has. They love the selection. They love the prices. They love how quick Johnny T-Shirt ships to you. They love the friendly customer service in case you go into the store there on East Franklin Street. 
They love that Johnny T-Shirt gives Inside Carolina Premium subscribers an extra 10% off their order and their great prices already. Basketball gods love Johnny T-Shirt. Inside Carolina subscribers, listeners, friends of this show should also love Johnny T-Shirt. Johnny T-Shirt has been uh, alumni-owned and family-operated for quite some time. They are huge fans of ours here at Inside Carolina. They help support this podcast, and we want you to support their business. So go check them out right there on East Franklin Street in Chapel Hill, johnnytshirt.com. Take a quick break. We're going to let the national guys come in here, run some advertisements. And then we're going to talk about the bracket as a whole, because you care about bracket talk, bracket, 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 bracket. But what we're not going to do, we're not going to tell you who we think is going to win because you don't care. All right. We'll be right back here on the Coast to Coast podcast. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, appreciate you guys sticking around on the Coast to Coast. I'm Joey Powell. With me, as always, Inside Carolina's own Sean Moran, Sherelle McMillan. Tonight, we've got a treat, and Greg Barnes has made a gracious appearance, fresh off his trip back from Brooklyn, covering the Tar Heels. Boys, let's talk about the bracket as a whole. And because hashtag don't be bracket guy, and nobody cares about your brackets any more than they care about your fantasy football team, we're not going to do it that way. What we are going to talk about is what this bracket looks like, who you guys think um, have favorable draws, who you think couldn't do some damage, but I don't care who you think is going to win, right? We don't care who you think is going to make the Final Four. What we want is your insight as to where things might be advantageous for folks um, and and then tell us why. Uh, So first things first, Sean, I'm going to go to you, and I promise you if you start talking about Fullerton, I'm going to lose my mind. But uh, fire away, Sean. Um, no, I'm not going to talk about Fullerton this year. And there, there's not, you know, in, in terms of upsets, um, you know, the, the, the big ones, the, the team I do like is Colgate, but I think, uh, you know, th- they'll be able to play, you know, for about 30, probably 30 of the minutes, you know, maybe a little bit longer before they, they kind of, you know, give it up, uh, similar to what they did last year. But mm-hmm. I mean, th- those guys can shoot, um, you know, uh, in terms of the brackets, uh, you know, I think Kansas got a fairly, fairly good draw, uh, as a, as a one seed. Um, but I, I do think, uh, as another upset and sorry, I'm getting a little away from your, your prompt, okay. but, uh, South Dakota state over Providence, uh, is, is one that I will want to look at just cause I think Providence is a little, uh, I mean, we saw it in the big, you know, the big East, but they've looked shaky uh, lately. Yep. Yep. Um, so th- those were just some very quick observations, but, you know, I, I think overall it's going to be, uh, you know, there's a few good teams and then outside of that, it's a, you can make a case for, for a lot of teams to, to advance, but those are just the kind of a few of the, the upsets. And then if, if it does happen, uh, Gonzaga Memphis in the second round, would love to watch uh, Jalen Duran Duran matched up with uh, Chet Holmgren or, or Drew Timmy just from, uh, kind of a talent talent matchup. Yeah, that's an AAU matchup's dream right there. Um, I love that you immediately went to the Midwest and pointed out a, a 14 uh, a 14 three game with that Colgate call, and then a 13 four with with South Dakota State. And again, you, you're right. Providence has not been as good the last two and a half three weeks as they were uh, earlier in February. Although be, beware, sorry, I, I also have a bias against Wisconsin, so I feel like I'm always picking them to get get upset. So uh, they'll probably advance to the Elite Eight this year after getting knocked out early in the the Big Ten. Few things burn as hotly as your hatred for Big Ten basketball, sir. <laughs> we are well versed in that. Greg, who do you think from like that four or five line could really make some hay and could cause some problems? I mean, I I see a couple, but I, I'm just the host. Who do you see that that you think um, could be a real real pain in somebody's side? 
I've watched a lot of uh, the West Coast basketball. Uh, it's kind of like you know football season. I watch a ton of the late night Pac-12 games. It's after work, <laughs> and I've kind of done the same this year. So I really like you know, the Gonzagas and the, and the St. Marys. I think St. Marys is, is scrappy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they're in a, a tough bracket. Um, I, I think they can give UCLA a run for the money. Although I do think UCLA is playing a little bit better here mm-hmm. of late. Uh, that that's a good one. And then I, I kind of agree. I think you know Providence is a is a, is a good team. Um, but I think Iowa's so explosive offensively, that's going to be a, a tough matchup. And I think either one of those teams could give Kansas a little bit of a run. I know Kansas is playing well, and they have athletes uh, out the wazoo. But uh, I think one of those teams could, could maybe push Kansas. And then in terms of the, the, the other bracket, let's see here. Houston, you know, I think they've got so many injuries. I, I think a yeah. five seed is asking a lot of them. Uh, and so maybe that sets up well for Illinois. I don't think either of them have any chance with Arizona. But one team that's not a four or five that I really like is Tennessee. I think they've played very well of late. How Duke got a two over Tennessee, I have <laughs> no idea. Uh, but I think that the draw is favorable, um, that they've played really well. I think they match up pretty well against Villanova. And then you add in the fact that Villanova really embarrassed them up in Uncasville back in November. I think oh, that's, that's right. a little, little bit of a, a chip mm-hmm. on their shoulder. Uh, add to the fact that they're, they're a little bit upset, probably, that they weren't a two. Uh, so I think Tennessee-Arizona has got the potential to be a, a fantastic Elite Eight game. Yeah, Tennessee has been really, really good, and I, I'm with you. I think that uh, I think that they're the, – I'm a little shocked that they did not get a two over uh, over Duke, but whatever, I'm not on the committee. Um, and, and, I, you know, you mentioned Kansas. Uh, they did – uh, they did lose Lightfoot yesterday in that final uh, for the Big 12. I have no idea um, what his status is, but uh, you know, you're talking about different teams having injuries. That's something to think about there too. Uh, Cheryl, who do you like? I mean, you've had all of you know 45 minutes with this bracket because of your your travel day today. Who do you who do you see on here that just jumps out at you? That's not one of the the top seeds. Well. This is one of the top seeds, but my initial impression was like, man, they did Kansas a lot of favors. Like I, I mean, I'd be surprised if Kansas, Kansas has a lot of trouble getting to the final four. I just don't, you know, I just don't see a team that I feel like really could beat Kansas when they're playing at their best. Like I have a very high opinion of Kansas, um, but the team that's kind of under the radar that I like, I like UConn a lot. And I'll say that because I, I just don't think where they're at will really allow them to have a run past the Sweet 16 because I think Gonzaga is better. But um, they have what you need to win in March, not to be cliche, but like RJ Cole can get you, you know, a basket. He's a bucket, yeah. It. Yeah, he can get you get it when you need it. Tyrese Martin is going to make, you know, pretty much have his threes, it feels like. And then they have two athletes on the wing. Well, I guess in, in the post slash on the wing who can guard realistically four and five and Andre Jackson and Isaiah Whaley. And Whaley is a, a fifth-year guy. Actually, mm-hmm. he's from North Carolina. Um, block shots in the interior, really good um, defender, in my opinion, on pick and roll. And then Andre Jackson is the best athlete that people just don't know of. Um, and he's explosive. So I, I think UConn has all the pieces. Um, they've been, I don't want to say up and down, but they play in the Big East. They beat Villanova. Um, they had a big win. Gosh, that was in November. They beat Auburn in like <laughs> might have been two times yeah. or three times. Yeah, it was like a 115 to 110 game or something like that. But uh, I think they have a lot of talent now. They, they have lost a couple guys, but um, th- those five, I, I just I, I think UConn has tools to make a run. It's just that there are five seeds. So um, even if they were able to knock off the four, then more than likely they, they play Gonzaga in the Sweet 16. And I don't think they're going to be able to beat them. But that's who I'm looking out for. All right, guys, which seed between one and three? Uh, so if they're in the top three lines in each, in each, uh, quadrant, which one do you think is most likely to bow out the soonest? Uh, Sean, you've had the most time since your last answer. I'm going to hit you with this one. Uh, ideally it's a two with, uh, with Duke on, on that one. But, um, I mean, you got Purdue, Wisconsin, uh, Texas tech as a, as a threes. I think they could, uh, I'd say Texas tech and Wisconsin are the most, most ripe. Um, actually, I mean, all, all three of them. Uh, so definitely going with the three seeds on, on this one. Out of way, easy, to, way, way, to, way to hate the big 10, no matter what. I love that you're love that you're standing with your principles. Uh, Greg, who do you feel like is the most vulnerable of, of any of the top three seeds? I think Duke's up there. Uh, you know, uh, I haven't really been impressed with anybody in the ACC this year. Uh, and Duke certainly 
part of that. The fact that Carolina and Virginia Tech handled them the way they did the past couple of weeks, I think is a little bit troubling, especially, I mean, Davidson's good. Uh, I mean, Texas Tech is great defensively. I know Alabama's kind of falling off. Uh, the other one I think is Purdue. And some people probably think I'm crazy because they're so good offensively. They are not good defensively. And that, that's really a liability for them. We were talking about on the board earlier. Sherelle's pissed because you just jumped all over his answer, by the way. <laughs> um, but we talked about you know, the 08 and 09 Carolina teams. But, oh, yeah, you know, they're just happy to outscore people. Well, yeah, they did. But they were actually pretty good defensively, especially in the tournament. Even during the regular season, they were okay. Purdue's not okay. Purdue's actually bad defensively. Uh, and if, if they're not hitting everything they throw up, some of these teams could, could surprise them. I mean, I, I think Virginia Tech would be a tough matchup for them in the second round. I mean, I, Murray State and San Fran are both good teams, although I think Kentucky will be able to advance. Uh, I just think there's a, there's a lot of work for Purdue to be able to get to the Elite Eight. Sherelle, which one do you think is the most likely to get caught slipping early? Yeah, I was going to say Purdue as well for that very reason. Um, and, you know, if you look at, you know, Kim Palm and, and adjusted def- defensive efficiency, these are the worst teams in the field. Georgia, uh, excuse me, Ohio State, Montana State, Georgia State. So that's a seven of 14 of 16. Texas Southern, Richmond, Yale, Purdue. So Purdue is by far the highest seed. Wow. Um, and they're ranked 100 in um, adjusted defensive efficiency. Um, so I feel like it's a little easier to play defense in the tournament than it is to play offense because there's pressure on all those shots. And we've seen many a time in the last couple of weeks, what pressure it can do to people uh, when it comes to shooting. So I I worry about Purdue. And also when one of your best players can't be on the court defensively at certain times, because they're going to isolate them in ball screens, Mm -hmm. then, you know, that takes away some of the advantage you have. So I'm saying all this and Purdue's going to go to the final four, but (laughs) they seem, they seem very ripe to me for, for an upset. Joey, can I riff off this just for a minute? Yeah, man, it's your show. You do what you want. You're the guest here. So defensively, um, Looking in the, the East region, of all the at-large teams, Carolina uh, is, is number three in terms of worst adjusted defensive efficiency. Purdue is all by themselves. But then it's Carolina and Wyoming. Uh, it's kind of next in line. There's nine teams in the East that are top 50 in adjusted defensive efficiency. A lot of really good defensive teams. Carolina has played four games this year against teams that are ranked in the top 50 adjusted defensive efficiency. In those games, Carolina has shot 43.4% and 47% from two. Oh. Um, it's, not, it's not a promising uh, stat there for, for Carolina. Granted, one of those teams was Duke, and we know what they did in the second half at Cameron. So if that continues, uh, then they're okay. But in the in the other halves, I mean, even the first half at Cameron, they shot 38.9%. So they didn't exactly uh, shoot the ball very well. So I think that's going to be a, a key challenge for North Carolina in this bracket because, I mean, all these teams, and I know some of this is a little bit skewed because of the conference you play in. I mean, mm-hmm. St. Mary's really a top 10 team defensively nationally. Probably not. Right. They're still really good. Um, but I think there's a, there are a lot of teams in that bracket that are going to make it very difficult for North Carolina and their offense is not going to look as good. And it may not be because as Sherell said, may not be because they just crap the bed offensively. It's just because they're playing a lot better opponents on the defensive side of the ball. Whew, well, you take that and some roll aids and you might feel a little bit better folks. Um, that's why we bring Greg on is to make sure everybody's expectations are completely leveled by the time we end recording today. All right, guys, last question. We'll get out of here tonight. Um, who's the one team with the lowest seats you think can make the Sweet 16? I think every year, you know, you get somebody just out of the blue. You get a, uh, you get a, what was it, Norfolk State? Uh, I think once, who was it a couple years ago from, um, was it, you know, uh, they were green and gold. That's why I keep coming back to Norfolk State. But, you know, somebody a while back made the Sweet 16. You saw, you've seen what Loyola Chicago did um, recently. There's always this George random. Mason? Is there, are you going back that far? I'm not going to 06. I, I know George okay. Mason clearly. Um, I got it. Was one of those. It was a team based out of Kentucky that wore green and gold. But somebody, somebody can correct me by the time the show is over. Uh, who is your lowest ranked seed? You think can make the Sweet 16? Uh, Greg, I'm going to stick with you here since you wanted to riff on the last one. Oh gosh, let's see here. Um, just, just looking. Take your time, man. It's all right. New Mexico State is a team I think they're they're pretty good. 
Uh, I, I do like San Diego State just because they're so good defensively. Uh, I don't think they, they're good enough to be able to beat Kansas. Um, so let's see here. How about – I don't know. I'll go Virginia Tech. I think they can make a run. They're definitely hot. They're, I think there's, there's something to that. seed. I mean, let's go with them. All right. No, I think that works. I mean, you've always seen what, what hot teams can do, and it's always about you know who gets hot this time of year. Uh, Sherelle, what about you? I'm going to stay, and if they win in the first four, I think Notre Dame could do it. Um, when you start putting together the, the pieces that typically are successful in March, they, they have those. They have kind of a, a budding superstar. They have the experienced point guard. They have the stretch big who can shoot. Um, their question is just when teams are physical with them, can they handle it and can they play through it? Um, but they are definitely capable whether or not they do it, we'll see. But I, you know, I would I'd watch out for them. But of course, they have to win uh, in the first four. Um, on I guess they play Wednesday. That's true. Uh, they will be playing against Rutgers, which feels like a uh, pretty good pretty good TV matchup there for folks who are going to be watching that uh, that early. Cleveland State guys, and that that's not who I was talking about. It was nineteen eighty six. Who am I talking? Who am I thinking about? They were like a they were like a thirteen or fourteen seed that made uh that made some hay a while back, and it was not George Mason. Middle Tennessee um, State beat Michigan State, but I don't think they made the Sweet 16. No, nah, they lost their uh, next Florida game. Gulf Coast? You talking about Florida Gulf Coast? No, it was not. Uh, it was not Dunk City. Um, anyway, let's know, let's then. we'll I'll, I'll figure <laughs> it out. Somebody will tell me on the boards and make me look like a total moron. So that's fine. Um, Sean, what is your uh, what is your lowest uh, lowest seed to to make some hay in the tournament? Uh, realistically show some, uh, even though I, you know, I'll show some ACC love with, uh, Greg's Virginia tech answer at 11 or potentially Miami at 10, uh, just given, I think they have a pretty good first round matchup with, with USC, uh, in terms of, you know, throwing some larger, longer shots out there would go, uh, New Mexico state as a 12 seed and then Chattanooga as a 13 um, unfortunately, I don't think there's any Oral Roberts in here with just, <laughs> you know, some guys that can just light it up and, and take some teams down. Um, although, you know, maybe you have 15 Jacksonville state and Brandon Huffman, uh, coming, coming up strong. So, um, we'll, we'll see, but I don't know, hopefully there's, there's some big upsets. Those are, those are always, uh, make it a lot more enjoyable on Thursday and Friday. Not too many though. Not too many. Uh, give me like just, four. Yeah. Cause because then I don't, I don't want the the next weekend of basketball to be ruined by fourteen. <laughs> like the, or something. The Abilene Christian yeah. beating Texas and then just laying an egg, right. dropping like thirty the next right the next day. after I spent an hour last year talking about how much I like Texas. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> over that yet. So, oh yeah, so Shaka owes me. Yeah, yeah, Carolina needs to beat Marquette because I, I I went I went to bat for him despite having a him having a bad season last year, and they were out in the first round. And that's important, right? Like, like, what do these coaches owe Sherelle? That that matters in the grand scheme of things. And I, I appreciate you. One hundred percent. All right, boys. Um, we're gonna put a wrap <laughs> on this. Um, I I still can't figure out. It's not Murray State, even though they did. Uh, I think they made a Sweet Sixteen at some point. This is gonna perplex me forever. And if I can figure out who it is, um, maybe they didn't make the Sweet Sixteen. Maybe it was just somebody that won a couple of games from like a fourteen C. But I, I distinctly remember they were wearing like uh, green and gold, and I feel like they were from Kentucky. But whatever. Um, you should find something to something, some kind of icy merch to give somebody whoever can respond to your question first. We got to give them something. You know, we'll make that happen. We will. Uh, if if you're listening this late in the pod and can figure out who I'm talking about, <laughs> post it on the message board uh, where this podcast is posted at me. And I will make sure that um, that our icy mom, Michelle Hillison, gets you something with some icy swag of some description. But guys, I really appreciate it. It's definitely going to be some fun watching once things get started Tuesday night and then in full throat on Thursday. Tar Heels again, 4.30 from uh, Fort Worth. Or I guess, they're, what are they playing in? Um, they playing in TCU's arena, Greg? Uh, that's a good question. They are playing at, I've got it right here, Dickies, the Dickies Arena. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, you got to show up in some Dickies in like a work suit. What's, what's, they're going to crit, they're going to crit walk where, to center court? Uh, what's happening? I think Conference USA or somebody was playing their, their tournament this weekend. Gross. All right. Well, either way, Tar Heels 430 uh, against Marquette, eight versus nine seed. Uh, winner of that game will play the winner of uh, Baylor and, oh gosh, um, Baylor. Who does, who does, who's Baylor? Baylor's got Norfolk State, the aforementioned Norfolk State. How can I forget this? Guys, it's late. Uh, the daylight saving time has absolutely butchered my brain. I need to get out of here. 
But for Sean Moran, for Sherelle McMillan, for our special guest, Greg Barnes, who we infinitely appreciate jumping in tonight and offering his wisdom as we talked about uh, your, uh, you know, your preview of the NCAA tournament. I'm Joey Powell. Thanks to Johnny T-Shirt for sponsoring, uh, to John Siegley for producing and making this happen. Make sure you like, subscribe, rate, and review us. All the good stuff. We really appreciate it. And remember, don't be bracket guy. Nobody cares who you picked. Nobody cares which upset you called, especially if you have 38 brackets entered. Of course, you're going to get some right. Nobody cares. But enjoy your tournament. We will catch you next week. Same time, same place here on the Coast to Coast podcast on InsideCarolina.com.